All right, Mike, we haven't done this in a while. It's been a minute. Uh, um, what does the phrase competitive rebuild mean to you? Because the Vikings have done quite a bit. Um, well, I should rephrase that. They haven't done a whole lot, but they've done a lot with their own roster in keeping a lot of the guys in-house. The only player they moved on from was Michael Pierce. Big move, obviously, with Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen restructuring his deal to stay here, tying him for another two years in Minnesota. It seems like they're trying to open up another window to compete, and it's got a lot of people wondering what exactly the direction is. So the phrase that everybody stuck to from Quasi Adolfo Mensa's first press conference following these free agency moves is competitive rebuild. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, on what you think of that. Well, the first thing I think of is uh, eight and nine or nine and eight. Oh, no. Uh, but, <laughs> but joking aside, like I, I get it. I, I Competitive rebuild to me sounds like they're trying to have it both ways, right? They're trying to stay competitive in the short term, um, you know, tr- not bottom out while still trying to kind of reshape some of what they're doing, you know, going forward to maintain some future flexibility, not get themselves stuck into, you know, not get them stuck, stuck, self stuck into a spot. And it's, it's easier said than done, Andrew. I think, I think the danger in it, and I think even Quasi got asked this on, on Wednesday, and I used a clip of that on, on Thursday's daily delivery podcast is that, you know, once you, when you try to have it both ways, sometimes, sometimes that means you have some really good players, but then you're also kind of planning for the future and what it, evens out or equals to be is, you know, kind of a team that's in the middle, a 500 team. So that was kind of the the 500 joke I made at, at the beginning. You can't be exactly 500 now unless you go 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. Um, Wouldn't put it past Kirk Cousins, though. I, I just, I don't, you know, I think the phrase competitive rebuild, I think it's possible. I think the NFL, you can do that if you make the right moves. Um, I I would feel better about this if they we're in a little bit more of a of a tear down mode, even if it meant keeping some of these guys. But I get it. Um, I think they want to kind of see what they have for a year. And if, if it doesn't work this year, then I think you really have to get into more of a okay. We got to turn this roster over when you have a little bit more flexibility in 2023. Yeah, and I found it interesting that Quasi was asked about you know how do you prevent this team from going eight and nine again, basically, you know, being mired in mediocrity. Um, and I want to pull up that quote and read it. Cause I don't know if that was a quote that you would use on daily delivery or not, but um, his defense of that is saying that football is a little bit different deal than a sport like basketball. It's more of a team sport. You don't need that one transcendent player to become great. He said, but to your point, it's just about adding great players, great pieces around the core that we have. And there's ways to do that. And keeping Kirk Cousins on that contract, not only keeping him, extending him again to free up that salary cap space in lieu of a trade, which they had explored with him and many pieces on this roster. Um, It sounded like they were considering potentially moving on from quite a few of these guys, and they opt not to do that and, and really bring everybody back together. And so that was his answer to the mediocrity question. And then I had asked him right out of the gate, you were rumored to be sellers. Why didn't you... Uh, or, or how close were you to moving on from some of these guys? And Quasi's <clears throat> answer um, mentioned having challenges from all sides. He said, players have needs, we have needs, trying to do the best you can for all parties involved. Sometimes that involves doing nothing, staying in the same place, coming back, and let's be great together. We'll figure out things after that. Um, so challenges from all sides, that could be ownership, that could be contractual negotiations and not being able to lower certain salary cap hits that can be, uh, the needs of the roster, certainly and the needs that are still there. Um, it, it's, a, it's got a lot of people, not just Vikings, but around the league, because a lot of people thought that there were going to be changes made, especially with the calls that were being made with the trades, whether it was Daniel Hunter, um, our colleague, Ben Gessling reported that. They were basically shopping Daniel Hunter at, in lieu of a extension, and then they end up keeping him. And not only do they keep him, they make the big splash and lean into this not rebuilding by signing Zadarius Smith this week, the ex-Packers pass rusher who turns 30 in September. He's coming off back surgery. That's not a rebuilding team move, certainly. So all of these moves indicate that what Mark Wilf said a couple months ago, we're going to be super competitive right away. That's the edict they're following. And 
Kwesi didn't stand up there and necessarily defend that edict as much as he tried to explain it to, to media on Wednesday. So it seems to me like he's stuck between a rock and a hard place and is trying to make the most of it. Um, and, and I think this roster's got a lot of potential. Certainly Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter, if healthy, have a lot of potential. But, uh, Mike, the Zadarius Smith signing, to me, just is even more of them leaning into, all right, we got to make the most of this, and if we truly are going to compete right away, this is the kind of piece that we needed to add. Congrats on the new job at Compere Financial. Thanks. It's refreshing to work for a company that gives back. We even get paid time off to volunteer. That's so cool. How are the benefits? Amazing. They have lots of growth and educational opportunities and even provide up to a 9% 401k matching contribution. Wow, they must really care about investing in your future. They do, and with their flexible work environment, I know I'm going to love being a part of Team Compere. To learn more about a career at Compere Financial, visit compere.com slash careers. Compere is an equal opportunity employer and provider. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking, and I I, I wonder if you know, and Quasi would never say this, but I wonder if he's a little not frustrated is probably the wrong word, but kind of understanding how many different you know people he's kind of serving in all this with you know established veteran players who have contracts who don't have to do anything, or who you know if you're going to restructure them have to have something given to them, and an ownership group that you know frankly doesn't have much of an appetite and has shown that they don't have much of an appetite over the years for. A rebuild. I mean, the the one time they kind of had to do it was after the 2010 season when, you know, that whole veteran roster fell apart. Brett Favre was done, and it was just like there's not much left. You got to start start over from scratch, and then, you know, they kind of fall into a playoff season in 2012. You know, but then Mike Zimmer comes in, and it's not a full on rebuild, but it's a, a remaking of this roster. And you know, they go seven and nine in his first year. But I think you know maybe. Maybe we're all getting kind of a lesson in the realities of the NFL, the realities of what ownership wants, the realities of, you know, how the salary cap works. And, you know, if if you aren't able to get what you want in a trade, you don't want to just get rid of players for pennies on the dollar. And there is like a certain element of, yeah, let's see what a new let's see what a new coaching staff can do with some of these same players. Was it? A problem of you know them not being used to the fullest potential was it a problem of a culture not feeling you know them not feeling like they were you know in a certain state of mind that was able to let them produce um, you know the problem with that is I thought that the Vikings by and large last season played okay um, they they just you know they didn't win some of those close games and you know maybe that's maybe that's reason to think they can be ten and seven next season if if they get a couple breaks but. I just I feel like the problem in all this is that I just don't see the ceiling for this team as constructed right now as being a Super Bowl team. I don't even see this as I don't even see their ceiling as like reaching an NFC title game. I see their ceiling right now as like maybe get into the playoffs and maybe surprise somebody by winning one game. And I guess that would be progress next year, but is it really progress if then you're gonna have to take a step back at a certain point to really, you know, change what you're doing at quarterback it'll get a more cost-effective quarterback really revamp this defense that's loaded with a lot of veterans on bloated contracts it just it feels like the bigger moves are a year away but I think a lot of us were maybe hoping for and even frankly expecting based on kind of new blood coming in that they would do this sooner rather than later yeah and I think one of the issues too right with Rick Spielman's all-in approach Mike Zimmer and Rick trying to save their jobs was going all in on some of those one-year deals really pushing them up against the cap the quasi's dealing with that right now if they're paying 10 million dollars for anthony Barr against the cap but it's an empty locker right now um those are the issues that they have to deal with in those tough realities as well that that financially strap them but i i do think that when you look at this team it's still top heavy you when you maintain and carry all of these contracts over again and only move on from michael pierce at least at this point um, where's the depth going to come from? So to me, that says that ownership certainly believes that not only Kevin O'Connell's playbook can get more out of Kirk in this offense, but that in general, this 25 man coaching staff, which that's an accurate number. It's a 25 man coaching staff can get more out of developing these players. And that they believe that ownership believes that it wasn't only Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman's decision-making that held them back but also the fact that they couldn't develop and didn't, didn't have a culture that could develop a lot of these backups that are needed when you have so many high-priced starters. So I do wonder that if we're going to see some of that depth come through this year in a different environment, 
at least that seems to be the bet that the Vikings and the ownership are kind of making with signing more top heavy guys. Like Zadarius Smith is going to count 14 million per year over three years. We need to see how much is guaranteed in that. But for a 30 year old guy, again, he turns 30 in September, very talented, worth that when healthy as is Daniil Hunter, but you can't afford injuries again because you're, you're one injury away again from starting DJ Wanham, who we've seen a couple years of him and, and it hasn't been much so far. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a gamble. It's another gamble year. And, and I guess, you know, I'm sure Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell kind of went into this with a lot of options, right? If you get the right deal for Kirk Cousins, maybe that's when you make the move. You, you, you see certain realities. If there's a great deal for Daniil Hunter, you make that move. So, you know, I think they they were certainly probably prepared for a lot of different outcomes. And if this is the one that makes the most sense to them, I guess we're inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt for now until we see how it plays out. It's just from, I think, from where both you and I are sitting, it's just as like, we've seen this. We They've run it back and run it back and run it back um, enough that, that we kind of know what this is, or at least we think we know what this is. And the only... I mean, the only thing that's really different at this point is they did spend some money on a second, you know, a second edge rusher that, that could give them a more formidable pass rush. Like you said, if healthy is a big question for both Zaria Smith and Daniil Hunter. Uh, but the other thing is is a, new, is a new coaching staff and a new scheme. And whether that, you know, whether they deserve a year with some of these players who have had a certain amount of success in this league, that, that part of it does make a certain amount of sense to me. But, you know, just this constant kind of, kicking it down the line and running it back, it's got to stop at a certain point if the results are telling you it's not there. And I feel like we've had enough years of results that a, a, a more you know a more focused rebuild would have been warranted. But I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until I see them go 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight again. I, I do think, too, we should talk about, because one of the additions that nobody talks about because it's so behind the scenes, but they move on from Eric Sugarman as the head trainer. They bring in Tyler Williams from... Los Angeles. Tyler Williams was an assistant with the Rams for 12 years. Um, the Rams, if you look at metrics like football outsiders, they have an adjusted games lost metric. And they just this week released the results from last season and the Rams ranked fifth. Uh, shockingly, you know, the healthy teams generally do better. Um, but the Rams, if you go back and look at them over the years, uh, Tyler Williams was in charge of their sports science. He wasn't their head trainer, but he was basically second in charge for them. And now he gets to be the lead guy in Minnesota. Um, if he could find a way, because there is no magic bullet, right? It's just probabilities and putting guys in the best situations to be healthy, managing injuries the right way, all that stuff. But sometimes you just get bad luck. But the Rams have somehow not ranked worse than 10th in that adjusted games lost metric, which is something that takes into account it weighs starter absences more than backups. It, it, uh, takes into account all of the injury report appearances as well. So it tries to account for players who are maybe playing hurt. Um, the Rams have been able to keep guys not only on the field, but generally off the injury report more than most teams. And so if the Vikings can try to find that kind of an edge, you know, Quasey drops the winning in the margins thing so much. That's a pretty big margin if you're able to keep these stars healthy. And, and I think it's important too, that they're not bringing back, some of their guys that were really missing. And now Daniil is, is an, uh, um, not counting in that, but Anthony Barr, for instance, he's not coming back. And, and he's got knee issues that go back years and hasn't been able to stay on the field for them for various reasons. Michael Pierce obviously only played eight games for them. They decided to move on from him. The guys they're bringing in, Jordan Hicks, nose tackle Harrison Phillips, uh, those are guys who have played through injuries recently and um, Hicks case, he started 51 straight regular season games. They're clearly prioritizing guys who can stay on the field and then trying to put the system around them to maintain that. And I do wonder if it's going to be a better setup for this top heavy roster. It's just, like you said, it's that same gamble that they've been playing. Um, Mike, I want to get your thoughts though on spending. If they had to make one big splash, like they did with Zedarius Smith, what do you think of them making that move for a second pass rusher as opposed to a corner or another wide receiver? Um, obviously, quarterback is the thing everybody wants to talk about, but it's Kirk. This is the answer now. We move on. Um, what did you think about the fact that Kwesi's first big move in terms of an, an outside hire or, or signing is, is to prioritize that pass rusher? I don't mind it. I think it's an area that's been neglected over the years. They haven't really 
spent all that much, you know, attention on the defensive line lately. I know they brought in Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, to try to shore up, you know, maybe play that, uh, you know, play that Linval Joseph role, and so that, you know, but you know, aside from that, and the kind of the panic trade for Yannick and Gakwe a couple of years ago, I mean, you know, Ben and I talked about this the other day, and I wrote about this. Like they haven't drafted a defensive lineman in the first or second round since Sharif Floyd. Like they, oh, wow. they have not. As I said, that was 2013. Like they have not really invested. The previous regime did not invest in the defensive line that heavily. So you have to, you know, when you've when you've got you know years of of neglect. You know, obviously they hit on Daniil Hunter with that third round pick in 2015. But when you've got a lot of years of neglect and the talent just hasn't come through, you got to you got to figure it out somehow. So I'm sure they looked at it and said. We need to add an impact player at one of these positions, whether it's defensive line, whether it's an interior offensive lineman, whether it's a, a corner, someone, someone like that. Like we, we got money to spend on one of these things, and the rest we're going to have to address either on the margins of free agency or the draft. And you know that's that's the thing we get we can't forget is there there's still moves to be made. There, there's ways to shore up the the interior of the offensive line for you know maybe less money than 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 you might think, and there's there's, there's other opportunities out there. So. I didn't mind it so much. I mean, I, I I do I do think it's a big gamble though when you've got a guy who missed almost all of last season with a with a back injury, and the, the guy opposite him also has missed a lot of time the last two years. Like that's that's a lot of money and a lot of resources and a lot of hope tied up in two guys who have had recent injuries. And you know, especially Smith will be about thirty years old when the season starts. Like, is that going to become a problem? Is that going to be a lingering thing? When you're talking about backs and necks, like you are with with Smith and Hunter, like that, that part worries me more than just the positional spending that they did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the decisions acutely with some of the guys coming off injuries raises those questions. And again, with a top heavy roster that they've got, I do think though, it sheds a little light on how Quasi views team building um, because clearly they want to add guys that affect the passing game. We're not hearing uh, a lot about, uh, even though they signed Harrison Phillips in the nose tackle from Buffalo, and that was their first addition, that was clearly a precursor to cutting Michael Pierce. And they even tried to keep Michael Pierce on a pay cut, and it just didn't work out. He moves on. So, but we're not hearing a lot from them about we need run stoppers. We need to stop the run. You know, that was the whole thing under Mike Zimmer because he wanted to get the the teams in third and long, and then do his blitz schemes. Uh, this Ed Donatel defense is going to be much more pass stopping oriented. It's going to be much more shell coverage, two deep safeties. Uh, if not that, it's going to be, you know, free deep kind of off corner stuff, even though they do like to press when they do shell coverage. But this is going to be a defense that in different ways tries to stop the pass and really prioritize it. And Quasi comes from Cleveland, where their biggest moves were just that affecting the pass. It was it was drafting Newsom, the corner in the first round. It was drafting uh, the linebacker, I believe, out of Notre Dame, who's uh, a quick coverage linebacker in the second round it was signing Jadavian Clowney to pair with Miles Garrett um, even though they didn't get the quarterback situation figured out until they traded for Deshaun Watson after Quasey left they clearly prioritized that line of thinking and, and I think fans have to like that I think that makes a lot of sense um, I don't know how more much more they can do with that in their fi- current financial situation I would expect them to sign a couple corners, one or two, because right now your starting secondary is Cameron Dantzler, Chris Boyd, and Harrison Hand at corner with Cameron Bynum at safety because Xavier Rhodes left in free agency. So Xavier Woods. Or, excuse me, Xavier Woods. Thank you. Um, so right now, that's it. They've got to sign some more veteran corners, and I think that is a top their to-do list right now. It's got to be, and I do still wonder if there's a surprise or two coming just in terms of what you just mentioned now about how they're reprioritizing certain positions. I mean, I, I wonder, and you know, I think I'm not the first one to wonder, like I wonder how long they spend a lot of money at running back. I wonder yeah. how long they, you know, they carry – you know, expensive linebacker like like Eric Kendricks. I know they already moved on from from Barr, and I think Kendricks is a good fit potentially in, in a three four scheme. But you know, I don't know how much you pay inside linebackers in in three four schemes sometimes. So I, I am interested to see kind of whatever you know whatever this new direction is and how they value different positions. What that might mean for for some of the you know for some of the longer tenured players on this roster who we haven't 
heard of that who who haven't been dealt with yet in restructures. You know, because we've all we've obviously already seen Adam Thielen get his deal redone. We've seen Harrison Smith get his real his his deal real redone, so that we know they're going to be around for a while. We we've heard very little about some of these other spots, and it does make you wonder what else might be coming. I have to imagine that that Dalvin Cook contract is as good as Dalvin is when healthy. I mean, that's got to be one where. You would think, and we haven't asked him about it, but you would think Quasi uh, would be looking at that and thinking, wow, that's, that might not have been one he would have done if he were making those decisions. Because every person much smarter than me who looks at this kind of stuff obviously says you can't pay running backs. They just don't stay healthy. And Dalvin is somebody who's got those perpetual shoulder issues. It goes back to college. He's had those things surgically repaired. They keep popping out, and they've constantly been issues for him. And then he had other injuries last year that weren't even related to the shoulder and with how tough of a position that is, how a lot of smart teams seem to be employing more of a kind of a committee approach to the backfield and not so much just one guy leaning on him. Um, Yeah. I I do wonder if Dalvin's time here, unless he redoes his deal might be numbered beyond this year or next year. Um, I think next year, his contract does become a little more movable. Yes. I Uh, I was just looking it up actually, as we were talking, he's only got about a $6 million dead cap hit next year. So I mean, it's 17 now. So that's, it's not going to happen right now, but it it, it could happen as soon as next season, if they decide that's the way they want to do it. Yeah. And if he doesn't stay healthy and then put a full 16, 17 games this year, um, I, I would imagine they're thinking about that. And Dalvin too is not and we're getting the mileage up on him too, right? He's 28, I think, at this point, or 27 maybe. Um, so, yeah, it, that's got to be something that you would think over time in terms of when they can put their stamp on this roster, that might be one way that they go about doing it. Um, you brought up the offensive line earlier. What? How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the offensive well, line right now? I, I, feel, I, I feel honestly a little bit better about it than I have at, at the beginning of a lot of recent years. I just I feel like... We we pretty much know that Brian O'Neill is a good player, um, and he's been rewarded with that second contract. We know they've got an anchor there. I think Christian Derrissaw played reasonably well last season, at least for for a rookie. Once he got healthy and on the field, so you kind of feel like, you know, while those guys, while Derrissaw might not be you know the world's greatest tackle yet, he he's got some room to grow, and he's he's on his rookie deal, and you can kind of. Put the pencil those guys in and say as long as they're healthy, those are your two tackles. I think Ezra Cleveland has played well enough that you say, okay, that's one of your guards. And you know, from there, there's still question marks. I don't think Garrett Bradbury is going to be the starting center, and I think they're going to try to figure out something else at guard. Um, but you know, when you have three positions at least somewhat penciled in and, and somewhat figured out, and they're all guys that are on, you know, that are under contract, and you, you don't have to really worry about that. That's at least a foundation. So I, I feel like. If they went into free agency and got, you know, another piece, and I, I think they added someone kind of lower level, right, so far already, and then they've... Yeah, yeah, they, they added a guard, but it was a minimum deal out, right. of, out of Denver and Austin Schlotman, but he was a practice squad guy, so that's just a depth piece. Um, they've they've been rumored to, to be looking at some guys. I just think I wanted to go through some of these contracts that are getting thrown around in free agency because fans... They obviously wanted to see the Vikings sign the big name. And J.C. Treader is the one that gets thrown out there, the center that was cut from Cleveland. Um, but they saved like eight, nine, ten million by doing that. And I just can't imagine the Vikings finding a way to make that fit under their salary cap. Um, but when you're looking at these contracts, Mason Cole, yes. who could have been a starting option for them uh, instead of Bradbury, who started for Bradbury, took his job last year. He got five million a year. And and I I like Mason Cole as a person. I think he's a fine, decent player, but I just don't see the value in that. I mean, Mason Cole was dealt out of Arizona for nothing, and here he was okay. You know, I think there's some ups and some really low, low points for him. Um, So, and I guess Pittsburgh signing him, that was the game on Thursday night in December when Dalvin Cook ran for almost 200 yards. So they're thinking maybe, well, they can push our nose tackles around. Maybe he can come and do that here, but. Pittsburgh was just a dumpster fire by the end of last year. And that doesn't really reflect who he is, I think, through a whole season. So there's a lot of money getting thrown around. And Austin Corbett was the the hot topic, too, that the Vikings were in on the guard out of the Rams system. He got almost $10 million a year in Carolina. That is insane. He's not that kind of player. He, he was a cast-off in Cleveland and then was able to kind of rejuvenate and, and up his his clout a little bit there in LA, but I think that speaks more to the system. And 
I want to go back to something that Daniel Jeremiah did a conference call, the NFL draft analyst before the combine. And he mentioned, I wrote this in the story from the combine. He had mentioned when asked about the Vikings offense under O'Connell, he said, this is not going to be that offensive line dependent. He's like, you got the two tackles. That's very important, obviously, but this system, they think at least people around the league think that it can kind of get more out of these guys on the interior, not expose them so much. And I know that was the thought process a little bit with the Kubiak stuff, the play action bootlegs and all that. But when you now have a coach who's willing to throw it on earlier downs and not get stuck in second and 11, because you're running into a wall every day, every time on first down, and then you're running again on second and 10. I think the play calling is going to, is going to be one of the biggest diversions from what we've seen in the past. I think that's going to be one of the more progressive stamps that O'Connell puts on it is that he's going to want to throw earlier and it's not going to be the John DeFilippo offense where it's shotgun RPO kind of stuff, more like Philadelphia. It's going to be more of that under center stuff, but they're going to be quick three-step drop throw, get the ball out, scheme stuff to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Irv Smith, whatever. I think that is going to help this offensive line to where they're looking at this maybe and thinking, we don't need to spend $10 million a year on Austin Corbett to make this offense that much better. We can maybe ride it out with somebody we draft or maybe Wyatt Davis develops, maybe Ole Udo takes a step forward, whatever. Um, and, and I do wonder if Garrett Bradbury is still the starting center. Cause I was actually taken aback at how effusive in his praise Kevin O'Connell was for Bradbury. And, and he basically said, if we get him in the right system, we think he can be better. And so I, I do wonder if they're kind of stuck with him, at least in this final year of his deal. And then they're maybe looking at retooling that right guard spot, potentially, whether it's through the draft or, or getting somebody like Eric Flowers, who started a bunch of games at guard for O'Connell in Washington. He's still a free agent. So they've got some options, but I think in general, it might be coaching hubris, but they're looking at this and thinking, hey, we can get more out of it just with this new playbook. Well, and Bradbury is already paid for, and he's a former first-round pick, so I, I, I get that. And, you know, if you're looking at the depth charts around the league, you saw Dakota Dozier just got a contract from the Bears. Like, I don't imagine there's a whole lot of uh, great uh, possibilities out there at this point. So it, it might have to come from within or from the draft. I would think just looking at their needs, that a guard might be a priority in the first three rounds of of the draft, right? I mean, they do have their first, second, and third round picks, right? They don't have the fourth from the Chris Herndon trade, but they do have a first, a second, and a third. So you can imagine a corner somewhere in there, maybe two corners, just one more, and maybe an offensive lineman too in there because that's you know perpetually a need, but again, this year feels like it's going to be a need. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I would be surprised if they took an interior lineman uh, in the first round, but because, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them take a corner with that twelfth overall pick, and then yeah, like you said, maybe one or two more because uh, that's just so barren right now. And that's another position that money has just been getting thrown around in free agency for guys that it's a lot of fool's gold every single year, and this year it doesn't seem to be much of an exception for that. Um, you brought up Dakota Dozier. That crosses off one name on my list of I want to play a game with you of where where he at. <laughs> okay. Where Let's where go. he end up because there are a lot of guys moving, a lot of moves being made, a lot of headlines being okay. created uh with trades. But um I got a list of ten guys that are now down to nine because yeah. you know where Dakota Dozier I is. I do. Um where did Anthony Harris end up? Ooh, Anthony Harris. Um uh, he's not in Cleveland. Uh, I'm just, uh, I, this is going to be a total guess. Dallas. <laughs> J. Ron Curse is still in Dallas. No, Anthony Harris is still in Philadelphia. Signed okay. a one-year deal. So that was the one guy who didn't change okay. teams. Okay. He ended up going back to Philadelphia. Here's an easy one for you. Where did Teddy Bridgewater end up? Uh, where did Teddy? <sighs> Oh, where did Teddy Bridgewater wind up? Uh, oh, Mike, you don't know where Teddy's I at? I don't you know. Don't know I, if I, you don't know where he's at, how do you know how he's doing? I, exactly, how he's exactly. How is Teddy looking? <laughs> is he uh, Is he in Miami? He is. Good guess. Okay. There you go. He I thought, so. I, I thought and... something, something stuck out in my mind that he was back in Miami. He went back home, and then I saw a press conference where he wouldn't even really admit he's the backup, which is going to create all kinds of stuff with Tua Tagovailoa being in a, a very much a prove-it year yes. for the Dolphins with that loaded offense now. Um, Mike Hughes. Oh, Mike at? Hughes. I just saw that. He got, he signed with, uh, oh, he got a new deal with, was it Denver? 
Oh, Detroit. Detroit He's in the is, division. Okay. Okay. There's gonna be there's gonna be two Mike Hughes revenge games coming up. Oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. <laughs> uh, with the Deshaun Watson fallout, Case Keenum got traded to where? Oh, right. He did get traded. Ah, like all of these things I saw, but I didn't pay t- didn't pay attention to like the team he went to. Um, oh no, I do know this one. Uh, he's in a spot where he's going to be backing up. Is it Buffalo? Ah, good job. Yeah, guy, you're two. You're, you got two of them now. Yep. Uh, Kate, get the quarterbacks down. Case Keenum is Josh Allen's backup in Buffalo. Uh, Tom Compton, our old friend, Kirk Cousins' old band buddy. Tom Compton, where did he end up? I might not get this with 25 guesses. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say um, Car- Carolina. He is in Denver, Denver. with Nathaniel Hackett. Okay. The uh, former, he's going to be maybe Wilson, depending on what happens with their offensive line. Where is Amir Abdullah? Where in the world is Amir Oh, I, you know, I did see that he signed somewhere, but I could not tell you where it was. I'll, I'll say Green Bay. He's a Las Vegas Raider. Las Vegas Raider, okay. Okay. Living the high life with uh, Devontae Adams yeah, over there in Vegas. Right. Nick Vigil started a bunch of games, did pretty well. Where did he end up? Chargers? Arizona. Arizona. He had, okay. he had the pick six against Arizona, and they're like, you know what? We're going to sign him. Um, where is – I got two more for you. Where okay. is CJ Uzoma, the Bengals tight end star of the, star of the playoffs for them? I have no idea. He is with the New York Jets and Tyler Conklin. Okay. And then one more. Where's Jacoby Brissett? Everybody's favorite backup oh, quarterback. Jacoby Brissett. Um, mm, is he with the Eagles? He's with Cleveland. He is now oh, going to start yeah, that's a right. bunch of games because Deshaun Watson is going to get suspended probably. Uh, so he will be the starting quarterback in Cleveland right out of the gate most likely. All right, Mike, you didn't do too bad. You I didn't did. Do too yes, bad. I did. I got two. That's not good. You know, you got Dakota Dozier, but I'm oh, no, guessing I got three. I guess I got. Up. I guess I got three total if you count Dakota Dozier. <laughs> and then Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater. You were yeah. close on on Mike Hughes. You were close. Yeah, but... no, and Mike Hughes. He was a 2018 first round pick, right? So if they yeah. had just not traded him, he could have been on a fifth year option this year, right? Correct, but yeah, that would have been pricey, and I don't even know if he yeah. would have been worth it. Yeah, that's healthy, true. But he had a he had a lot going on. Had a lot going on with that neck injury that he was dealing with here. Um, and then actually, I saw Jeff Gladney signed a two-year deal with the Cardinals. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I mean that's uh, he was what the twenty twenty draft. Yeah, just it was Justin Jefferson draft. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So he ends up in Arizona, is back in the NFL. But I actually reached out to the NFL when I was writing the story on him being found uh, not guilty by a jury in Texas for his uh, issues that were going on down there. And the NFL said they're still looking into it, so who knows? He could be, I guess he could still be suspended, but we'll see. Um, all right, Mike, let's open the mailbag. Let's do it. Get some questions. Uh, we got a lot of good ones here. Um, I want to start off with this one because it's a nice word salad. Heavy Dirty Skull wants to know, how can the Vikings live in today and tomorrow in their culture of collaboration during <laughs> this, this solu- <laughs> during this solutions-oriented competitive rebuild given their time horizons in both worlds? <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. That is good. That's a, It's got all of uh, all of our favorite Quasi uh, Adolfo nice Mensa. Of, yeah. It's a mashup. <laughs> nice uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a... Uh, I don't know how they can. We're we're gonna find out. Um, you know, we're we're gonna find out if they can live in in both worlds. I ch- I usually only live in one, um, but that's <laughs> that's just me. I try to live. You know, f- try to live in the now. But I, you know what? Uh, all joking aside, I like Quasi. I like the way he answers questions. Um, we we don't know how good he's gonna be as a roster builder. We won't know that for probably two three years. Um, I I kind of like the way he talks. I, I like the, his his approach. So I, I've got no. I've got no beef with that, but it is it's gonna be kind of fun to uh, to have a, a Quase Adolfo Mensa bingo card um for, for various catchphrases around free agency, the draft, everything like that. So I think we will have some uh, some fun with that as time goes on. Um all right, why don't you why don't we trade off? Why don't you take the next question? All right, let me find a good one here. Um Here's here's one from Tony that just came and Tony Rossi was uh, was getting on us for not having a uh, podcast for a while so he's very excited that we're having one today he said did did Rodgers coming back to Green Bay or Cousins trade market set the direction of reload versus rebuild if not then what is your opinion Oh that's interesting um I don't think so because the Wilfs before they ever knew 
Aaron Rodgers was going to be sticking around. Uh, we're, we're, Mark Wolf was saying at TCL Performance Center that they wanted to be super competitive right away. And this was before they hired Kevin O'Connell. I mean, they knew he was a candidate, certainly. But when they were introducing Quasey, I believe that's when he had made that comment. So I don't think that was any kind of indicator. I don't think if Aaron had, had retired or if Rodgers had, had been traded or whatever out of the division, I don't think they suddenly would have been like, OK, now we can rebuild. It's all good. I don't think this is some kind of arms race against Rodgers. I really don't. I think this is an ownership group that, like you had just pointed out earlier, that they haven't been through a whole lot of these, what you would call rebuilds. They don't really embrace that kind of notion. They they might overhaul the roster when they hire Mike Zimmer in 2014 uh, with his guidance, especially on defense. Um, and, and they might been through some lulls in 2010, 2011. But Overall, they they view, I think, Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers as that model franchise of like never being below 500. Like that's that's your floor. And no matter what happens, you're going to find a way to compete. And, And I think that's what they want. I think they want annual relevance. And that might be a lot to ask right now. Uh, with with what they're trying to do with this roster. But if everybody's healthy, maybe not, because this is one of the more talented skill offenses in the NFL. And if they can piece things together on defense, they certainly can be relevant. I just think the rebuild thing from fans comes from the notion of wanting to restart and kind of build to a higher ceiling, as you've talked about. So I, I don't know. What do you think? I don't think that Rodgers really had any any kind of bearing on what they did. No, I don't think it did, but I think it should have. I, I really viewed this off season as you know, as as maybe as strange as it seems. Like when when he came back to Green Bay, and I know they're going to have some of their own issues with you know salary cap and not, not having Devonte Adams anymore. They, they I know they got a lot of draft capital for him, but they're kind of in a weird spot with the receivers. But as long as you have Aaron Rodgers and as long as he's healthy and playing at an MVP level, that is the favorite in the division. So I really thought that that decision should have kick-started a more of a rebuilding mentality for them. And I get it. There's seven playoff teams in each conference now. Um, you don't necessarily have to win the division to be a good team and to make a playoff run, but I feel like once he came back, that, that, kind, of, that kind of signaled to me that, okay, this division is going to be hard to win again, even if Chicago and Detroit aren't very good. Um, maybe now is the time to try, try to start getting yourself into a position where in 2023, 2024, you've got that young quarterback of the future in place to really make a run at uh, at, at competing once Rodgers' time is done. I got a question emailed from Tom wants to know, it doesn't feel like the Vikings got a whole lot better so far, but has the NFC become more wide open? Um, I think that's interesting to look at because the quarterback arms race, obviously with, with Rogers Brady coming out back out of retirement, like those two guys are still on top with their offenses and Matthew Stafford still, but, um, Deshaun Watson, not coming to the NFC, Russell Wilson getting traded out of the NFC. Uh, and that wasn't the only trade out of the NFC. Khalil Mack traded out of the NFC. Amari Cooper traded out of the NFC. Robert Woods traded out of there from Los Angeles. There's been a lot of attrition and erosion, I think, in the NFC this offseason. And, and the AFC seems to be the conference that's kind of trying to gear up and, and you know, having more of that race to, to build up this talent. Um, the, if the only saving grace for the Vikings is that, for instance, Chicago, the, the defense that annually beats you and worry about winning those games, they look like they're embracing the rebuild. Yes. And I, I would think that, okay, now you can almost pencil in if – you know, this is going to go the direction they think you could pencil in four wins between Detroit and Chicago now, whereas before you were worried about, you know, each game you played Chicago because it was such a nemesis for them, especially that defense. But now Akeem Hicks is a free agent. Cleo Mack is traded away. Um, pretty much their entire defensive line is gone. And that was what beat you up. So and then the rest of the NFC, I guess you still have those three great quarterbacks in Stafford, Rodgers and Brady, but. I don't know. The rest of it seems just as open as it was last year, if not more. Yeah, and I do wonder. I mean, Green Bay, for as great as Rodgers is, if he doesn't have a single wide receiver that he trusts, um, <laughs> and again, there's there's still time. It's early in the offseason. They could, you know, they could draft somebody finally at receiver. They could draft another quarterback too um, if they wanted to. <laughs> but uh, you know, if they if they if they hit on wide receiver, they're still going to be really good. But it, you know, we've seen him. 
you know, struggle is the wrong word because Aaron Rodgers never really struggles to 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 my estimation, especially in the regular season. But if they if they can't find reliable pass catchers, then then you start to see the bad body language from Aaron Rodgers, and you start to see these kind of cracks in in his game. So that's that's something to watch for for me in this this offseason is how are they able to rebuild that passing game and find people that he's comfortable with. And I forgot to mention Matt Ryan, not that the Falcons were any kind of contender, but he got traded out of the NFC that's true. as well now to Indianapolis. Um, that's a good segue, though, to Mike, to the question you got about Green Bay receivers. Yeah, uh, Ramball Stew wants to know, can you name two uh, name two current Green Bay receivers? I want you to answer that question because I I'm a degenerate when it comes to fantasy football, so I can. I want you I want you well, to I, answer. That I question. still thought the the guy with three names, Valdez Scanling, was still on the team, but apparently he's not. Where did he go? He's still a free agent. I, last I saw, he was visiting Kansas City. He might end up being a deep threat there as they look to move on from from Tyreek Hill. Um, I think the Packers had interest in keeping him back, but it was something rumored like another ridiculous contract, like ten million per season for somebody like that. I just can't. I just can't see it. I just don't understand a lot of these deals that are getting thrown around. Um, it's it's pretty crazy, but I think Rogers' favorite, Alan Lazard. Yeah, is you still, told me that. Still there. You told me that one before the show started, and I, that <laughs> that one I probably would have come up with eventually. But I could not name a single other one. I mean, Randall Cobb's not on the roster anymore, right? I don't think so. I actually don't know about that one. Um, probably not. I can't imagine um, he signed more than a one year deal when he did. So he he could come back, but he's he's. I don't think he's uh, uh, on the roster right now. And they had a rookie that they drafted in the third round last year out of Clemson. He he could be good, but he just didn't do anything for them last year, so it's hard to tell where exactly he's at. And then Equiminius St. Brown is now a Chicago Bear. He was somebody who had made a few appearances for them. Um, but, yeah, I, other than that, it's going to be guys from the Y. <laughs> I don't know who else is going to be playing receiver for them. Um, it's going to be pretty thin. Um, all right. Uh, I got a question here. Uh, about strength of schedule. Mike yeah, wants to know, is it, is it too early to talk about strength of schedule? He says, the only way I see this team doing well is if their schedule is easier this year. Uh, I think it is. I don't know if you've got it pulled up, but I, I went through their opponents. And especially if you look at it from a quarterback standpoint, it's a lot easier than last year. Last year, like half your games were against top tier quarterbacks it was joe burrow kyler murray lamar jackson justin herbert staff weiss uh russell wilson was thrown in there so it was it, it was a tough schedule last year for the defense and obviously it played out that way because they got torched at the end of a lot of those games um and then they didn't even have to face dak prescott and they still lost to cooper rush but this year it's just if you look at the quarterbacks they're facing this year because that carousel has stopped spinning for the most part it's Rodgers twice, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That's it as far as the top guys. That's five out of your 17 games. Yeah. Um, well, the, it, rest of, the rest of it's Fields, Goff, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz got traded onto your schedule. Um, Jameis Winston got signed onto your schedule from the Saints. And then Tua, I guess the, the only trade that really impacted their opponents this year, really helped their opponents, was Tyree Kill going to Miami, where, where they fear at some point. Yeah, I was just looking at their home opponents, and let's not forget, too, they do have the nine home games here after having the nine uh, road games last season. Home opponents, Dallas, the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, the Cardinals, the Colts, the Bears, the Lions, and the Packers. That's, you know... There's, there's certainly some quality opponents in there. Green Bay is good. You figure Dallas will be good again. But just looking at their schedule, you're right. I mean, and it it's you know probably goes to show that they are you know they get the benefit of not finishing you know super high in the division. And I don't think the AFC East is is a great division. I don't know if they're you know their other opponents. It it does seem like a slightly more favorable schedule. But honestly, you don't. It, it's hard to say what the schedule, what the strength of schedule is until you see how these teams start playing next season, right? We always do this and then it's like, oh, well, then this team ended up being better than we thought. This team ended up being worse than we thought. And then they're right back where we thought they would be. Yeah. And where you catch them too, right? If, if you play Arizona in week two, like the Vikings did last year, it's tough. But if you would have caught them in December last year, it looked like it would have been a lot easier because they were falling apart. Um, and Yeah. But I just, the NFC East, you're right. And at least AFC West, which seems like quite the gauntlet now with those pass rushers uh, getting added over there. 
Um, but yeah, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, the Patriots are always tough, but it's Mac Jones playing for them. Um, I just, I don't know. I look at those quarterbacks and I think that's, that's a lot easier this year, but we'll see what the teams are like around them. Uh, once the schedule actually comes up, um, what, what do you got, Mike? I got one here from a former student of mine, Luke Hanlon wants to know what's the holdup in re-signing Patrick Peterson Is it strictly financial, or do you think it has more to do with new front office coaching staff, not wanting him? Yeah, that's an interesting one because what I do know is that Peterson wants to come back, but the defense that they're putting in is going to prioritize bigger press corners. And I think Peterson can do that. I think he's obviously a good enough player, but at what cost? And Quasey, when I'd asked him yesterday about what, what are you doing at corner? Um, he had said at some point that, well, if the value matches the player, we'll strike. And if not, we won't. And I think that's kind of where you're at with Patrick Peterson. Last year, he made $8 million. Before that, in Arizona, he made millions and millions more. Uh, he's used to a certain kind of pay that is respect in the NFL. It respects the fact that he was a three-time All-Pro. An All-Pro since 2015. And so I, I think he was still good last year, but I don't think he's worth $8 million to them, certainly, because if he was, I think he'd already be back. Um, so at this point, I do think it's a financial gap because he seems to fit what they want in a corner, even though he's he may not be you know the youngest and fastest at this point. Um, he at least stays on the field and, and he can at least do the things that you want them to do on the outside. It's just clearly they're slow playing that market because there's a lot of guys out there at corner who have tied staff who would make sense. Uh, whether it's uh, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, uh, I say this name and Vikings fans cringe, but Kevin King had his best season under Mike Pettin in 2019 in Green Bay. Uh, something like that makes sense. He's six, I think six foot one, two bigger corner outside can also press. Um, he would seemingly be a fit for them, but they're not signing any of these guys yet. Cause I think in part that they're waiting to find the good value at that position. And I think, I think that's kind of what's going on with Patrick as well. All right. What else you got? I got a chicken finger statement at the end, but let's get one more from you here. All right. Let me pull it up. Um, we've got, uh, Let's see. A lot of the stuff we talked about, like the DeWilfs rebuilding yeah. and not wanting to rebuild and all that kind of stuff. Um, somebody asked, why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, we just talked about the corners. How about this one? Okay. Somebody wants to know who among the Vikings free agents could they still resign? Other, you know, they, he asked about Patrick Peterson. Amir did, um, but he also lists Anthony Barr, Shelton Richardson. Um, let me pull up their list of free agents. They've also still got Mackenzie Alexander, Rashad Hill, um, D.D. Westbrook. Um, who among those, Mike, would you would you want to see back or do you see as a fit being back? That's a good question. I mean, it, so much of this is dependent on you know value. So much of it is dependent on what the new staff thinks of old players. I mean, I, I feel like Sheldon Richardson was good for them last season. I don't know at what price you would consider bringing him back. But of their pending free agents, I mean, Patrick Peterson and Sheldon Richardson are the two that I thought performed well enough to warrant another look next season. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think Alexander is on. I think they need to upgrade from the slot. He just wasn't that good last year in coverage. And that's such an important position uh, for this defense that's going to play a lot more nickel than Mike Zimmer played. Um, with four down linemen, two linebackers. Like as much as we talk about the three, four, they're going to be in nickel a lot. And Kevin O'Connell has said that, and I believe him, because when you look back at the stats with at Donatel's defenses, they play a lot of the part of what they want to do in leaning into stopping the pass is playing more defensive backs. And Mike Zimmer was much more reluctant to do that on earlier downs. So that makes that position important. I don't think Mackenzie Alexander is going to be back. Um, Sheldon's interesting because he was in Cleveland when Quasey was there in 2020. Uh, he did play well for them. and was very versatile for them last year, playing tackle and end uh, at the end of last year. I, I do think he's somebody that would make sense. If, if the price is right, if he kind of comes back in June like he did last year and kind of signs more of a bargain deal, um, I think he would make a lot of sense just because they need more numbers up front. Like I said earlier, they were open to bringing back Michael Pierce. It just didn't work out. 
um, bringing back Shelton for that even further, I think, and just give them more numbers. So um, let's let's get to the chicken fingers. Statement. Yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of Donatel and the defense, chicken fingers sixty nine statement of the week. Please explain the Donatel hire to me like I'm five years old. It doesn't make any sense. If they want to convert to 3-4 defense, fine. They don't need to hire someone born during the Eisenhower administration to do it. That's ageist, Chicken Finger 69. That is ageist. But uh, he has a point. Donatel has had some success, but he's also had some failure where he's been. What do you think of that hire? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's one where it's it's, it's people that you know. Um, and and um, I think Kevin O'Connell has had ties to Ed Donatel certainly knows of Ed Donatel through, through coaches that he's worked with and he knows how he is with players. And I, I think, you know, people, you hear the collaboration and culture so much that it becomes just this white noise. Um, but Ed Donatel is known for being kind of a player's coach. He's a little bit different dude, but he does get along with his players and kind of relate to them. Not like you would think a 60 year old guy would, and he's he's kind of the anti Mike Zimmer a little bit in that way. It's important to Kevin, especially O'Connell, who's going to focus on offense, try to you know really make his mark on that side of the ball, um, and let Petten and, and Donatel run the defensive side. I think that is important, and I also think that he's coming from a system uh, defensively that is being copied a little bit around the league. Brandon Staley has brought that to Los Angeles with the Chargers. Uh, he was a coach under Vic Fangio. Um, Quasey knows Vic Fangio, also knows Ed Donatel from San Francisco. They were together early in Quasey's career as an NFL uh, quant and analytics guy over there in San Francisco. So the relationships matter. That's why he ends up. At, and I think they view him as the right personality fit and also running a system that has had success in the NFL. And, and again, it comes to. Quasey and O'Connell prioritizing the pass. And that's what this defense is going to try and do. It's going to prioritize stopping the pass. And if we have to, if they got to stop the run with six guys in the box, they're just going to do it. They're not going to load up the line of scrimmage as much on early downs like we saw before. And really, you know, like Mike Zimmer said, prioritize stopping the run. So um, that's kind of how I would explain it and how it would make sense to me. The questions I've got. I don't think he's called plays in some time. He's been an assistant under Vic Fangio for a long time. And I do wonder how that is going to kind of be for him jumping back on the bike and, and, and being a play caller again. Yeah, that's interesting. I just, it's, it is, you know, once we kind of sift through all this roster churn and what they're doing, what they're not doing, I mean, once they get on the field this year, it is going to be very fascinating to watch just a different philosophy, both on offense and defense, and see how that pertains to players who we've watched for, you know, some of the, in some cases, eight years play for Mike Zimmer and various offensive coordinators. Just one more more corner or two or just three. one more or, maybe, or three, maybe four just, or five <laughs> offensive coordinators or six. All right, Mike. Well, that'll be it for this episode of the access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com.